1: Raider Nation, thank you for joining us on the Only Nation podcast, brought to you by the Raider Ramble and sponsored by MyBookie and Chucky's Thugs. My name is Heidi, but you may know me as Kevlar Promdress or even Raider Ladybug. I'm here with T3 Raider Facts, and we're ready to talk some Raiders football together.
0: Okay, Heidi, I should have listened to you, so this week's show is going to be a therapy session for all of us, so pull up a couch and let's just get
1: through this. Today on the show... We'll take another look at the tough loss to the Cincinnati Bengals, and then we'll turn the page quickly because there is a Thanksgiving Day game to play against the Dallas Cowboys.
0: Okay, Raider Nation, we would love to hear from you, so here's how you can get in touch with us. Give us a call on the Only Nation podcast voicemail line at 904-701-8667. That's 904-701-8667. You can also check us out on the web at onlynationpod.com. Here's the latest Raider news.
1: The Cincinnati Bengals defeated the Las Vegas Raiders in Allegiant Stadium by a score of 32-13. It was the third straight loss for the Raiders and now drops the team's record to 5-5. Five and five. You know, and
0: we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I had really good thoughts when the score was 16-13, and then the wheels kind of fell off. Cincinnati just commanded time of possession, and the Raiders' defense just got worn out toward the end, and, and they they left it out on the field, unfortunately. So now the team sits at 5-5 five and five, and in a very precarious situation, and they're much below where I thought they would be at this point in the year.
1: Yeah, uh, the Bengals had, what, 37 minutes of possession versus the Raiders, 22 minutes. It was enough to exhaust the defense to where, by the fourth quarter, they just didn't have any gas left.
0: Yeah, we're used to having the time of possession in our favor toward that end, but this is a whole different ballgame now.
1: The Bengals only had one penalty for five yards whereas the Raiders had seven penalties for 77 yards. And some of those penalties came at very inopportune times. And that's one thing that this team will need to clean up in order to get consistently better.
0: Now, I want to give Brandon Faison a little bit of a a break because, uh, how you and I texted back and forth during the game. The penalty they called on him for unnecessary roughness was total garbage. He did not lead with his head. He led with his shoulder. It was a clean hit. I went back and looked at it several times. They were looking to give the Raiders a penalty at that point. And, of course, Cincinnati went down and scored a touchdown. That changed the momentum in the game. But having said that, Cincinnati only had one penalty and the Raiders had seven. They have to clean that up in order to get any better over the course of the season.
1: Yeah, and there was not one holding call for Max Crosby or Yannick Ngakwe. That was crazy. It's not unexpected because the refs have not been calling it, but there was a lot of holding going on. The Raiders certainly should have won the game in spite of not getting the penalty calls, but it was frustrating to sit there and know that we're getting banged for these penalties dinged for them constantly and the Bengals didn't have one until late in the game
0: that toward the very end that's right and you're you're right there's just the disparity in the penalties if you're going to call it call it down the line and even it up a little bit
1: yeah Derek Carr was 19 for 27 for 215 yards one touchdown and one interception And he actually outpassed Joe Burrow in the game. But the talk has already started about what is going to happen to Carr after this year and, more directly, what could have been done differently in this game.
0: Well, I'll tell you one thing that could have been done differently during the game, if you recall, on their touchdown drive, it was really quick. Uh, They went down the field in a hurry, 75 yards, and all of us are scratching our heads thinking, where has that been all game and why can't they do that again? It just seems like With this Raiders team, particularly with the offense, it kind of just comes and goes sporadically. Uh, There's not any flow, and Carr was missing a lot of receivers, but some of the game schemes, I remember when Gruden first left and the offense really cranked up uh, against both Denver and Philly. They were getting up to the line of scrimmage quickly. They were calling out the play, and Carr really had command. But what I've seen the last two games is back to the old ways where they're not getting up to the line till the very last minute uh, Carr's not able to get his reads in, and they just look lost.
1: Yeah, and there's no aggression in the play calling at all. It's just very ho hum, very ordinary, and they're not very good plays that are, that are being called. Carr is audiballing out of a lot of plays, you know, kill, 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 and what he's audiballing into isn't working. So part of it lays on Greg Olson, and part of it lays directly on Derek Carr as well. I'll
0: tell you what they really need to do. And and again, I've heard this on one other podcast, but I totally agree with it. Uh, They just need to sit, Bisacci needs to sit Greg Olson and Derek Carr both down and say, look, you know, this offense has run best when it's run through Derek Carr. We have seven games left. Let's just let the offense run through Derek Carr. Let's let him... Do the do the thing and let's see where we are.
1: Yeah, but the one touchdown drive we had, Derek was an audibleing out of plays. So is it really going best through him? That's true. Uh, you have a good point. But I think when
0: when they were getting the play calls in early, when they were getting them in quickly, and he was having enough time to look them over, I think the audibles that he had. Uh, were a very thoughtful reads. Uh, I don't think he has a chance to do those thoughtful reads when he's getting up to the line of scrimmage at the last minute.
1: In roster moves prior to the Bengals game, the Raiders activated safety Roderick Teemer from the reserved injured list, placed fullback Alex Ingold on the reserved injured list, and activated fullback Sutton Smith from the practice squad. And we may get a little bit of
0: burn from Sutton Smith between now and the end of the year, but Missing Alec Engel, missing the captain of the team and, and a guy who was real key on special teams, that's going to hurt. Now, hopefully, Roderick Teamer can come back and, and get some burn and make some good plays. But uh, uh, yeah, injuries have, have hurt this team in uh, mass, but also at critical po- points as well. Missing Alec Engel for the rest of the year is really going to hurt.
1: Yeah, it really is. He's a very silent, but a very strong contributor to the team in leadership, and his blocking ability, and the occasional play that he runs as well. The Only Nation podcast would like to pass along condolences to the family of former Raider Steve Smith, who passed away towards the end of last week after a nearly two-decade battle with Luke Gehrig's disease. The prayers of the entire Raider Nation are with Steve's wife, kids, and grandson, also named Steve. For those who don't know, Smith was a third-round pick by the Los Angeles Raiders in 1987 and played for nine seasons, appearing in the backfield with both Marcus Allen and Bo Jackson.
0: And again, prayers and condolences to the family of Steve Smith. Once a Raider, always a Raider. I remember watching him when he first came in with the Los Angeles Raiders and, and, and had a good uh, nine-year career, but he will be missed.
1: He will for sure. Okay. Let's start our therapy session. What went wrong? What are we looking for on Thursday? And what does all this mean as we go into the last 70 games of the season? What went wrong? Well, I'll start with what went right. Our defense went right. Uh, For the first three quarters, they did a fantastic job. They simply were worn out by the fourth quarter and the time of possession being so lopsided. So at the end of the game, the score did get away from them. But the score wasn't really indicative of how close the game was. What went wrong was the very first thing that was a foreshadowing of what would happen in the game was that gift that the Raiders offense was given on the nine-yard line after the Yannick Ngakwe strip fumble and Dallin Levitt returned. And we did absolutely nothing with the field position. It was first and goal from the nine-yard line. The Raiders did nothing. I think, what was it? The first uh, play was, was a run to Peyton Barber? Yes, Peyton Barber got the first run of the game. Yeah, I mean, what's that? <laughs> that was a head-scratcher. It really was. And it, it got us nowhere. You know, it got the Raiders nowhere. And... Yeah, we did get 3 points off of it, but it was it really was a foreshadowing of what the game was going to be like. We're in the red zone 3 times. We were 1 for 3 in the red zone. Had one touchdown. And that one touchdown was from 19 yards back, so we didn't even score when we got closer. This futility in the red zone is really starting to become obvious. The offense is not calling aggressive enough plays. I don't think they're even going in with a game plan. It's like they're just going in and guessing plays. It's starting to show. At least when Gruden was there, he did go in with a game plan. He might not have variated from the game plan, and that caused us problems. But at least he went in with one. And I can't really fault... You know, the offensive line, they did a good job. The defensive line did a good job. Even the defensive backfield, Brandon Faison, for as much as he was targeted, he did hold his own pretty well. But the offense just died. They rolled over and died, and that's what went wrong. What the solution is, I don't know. I'm about to say, let's just toss Mariota in there to, you know, kick Derek Carr's butt a little bit. Make him wake up. Derek Carr looked like he had no fire on the sidelines. He looked like he was bored throughout the game. Maybe we need Mariota to step in there. Yeah, he'll probably get hurt pretty quickly, but that might be just enough to fire Derek Carr up.
0: Yeah, you hit the nail on the head on several things. Number one, Derek Carr's frustration is certainly showing. And he's stepping up to the mic and saying, yeah, it's all on me. It's all on me. He said that for the last couple of weeks. But that's really got to be unnerving at some point. And I wouldn't hesitate to sit him down. I think they should have sat him down before and put Marcus Mariota in there, if nothing more than just to give Carr a break and to say, hey, just sit down and, and, and watch and look at it through a different lens. Maybe, like you said, maybe that's enough to light the fire under him, but I don't know. Now, the Raiders defense did get the big turnover at the beginning of the game, but like you said, you have to convert those into touchdowns. You know, from there, I thought the defense played pretty well in the first half, and then that horrible penalty we talked about earlier that they called on Face on for the unnecessary roughness, that was total bull. And Gakwe has to be smarter about shoving a young star quarterback after he's released the ball. You know that's going to get a penalty. The score, in my opinion, should have probably been 14 3 Raiders at the half. Uh, Waller did get some big receptions, but not nearly enough. Uh, The Raiders were within striking distance at 16-13, but Cincinnati just kept taking what the defense gave them, which was lots of yards to Joe Mixon, who would love to be able to bottle up this game and give it to his agent for contract renewal. Now, the defense did its job and the offense just didn't produce. And I questioned some of the plays that Carr all out of, particularly going to the run, which obviously wasn't working on a third down passing situation. And even the announcers were going, I don't understand that play. Again, Waller did get more touches, but he should have been given many more. Uh, The Raiders don't have the confidence anymore to seize a lead and play from in front rather than from behind. So let's see if they can try and change that narrative somewhere over the course of the last seven games of the season. Thursday in Dallas would be a good start.
1: Okay, the Cowboys are up next on Thanksgiving Day. What do we see happening on Thursday? You want me to start with
0: that? I do.
1: All right, the
0: Raider defense will get at least two turnovers, and this time... They will convert them into touchdowns. Okay, I'm making my prediction now. Everyone is going to bet against the Raiders. We already know that. No one is going to expect them to win. We already know that. And in this season of ups, downs, and the completely unexpected, the Raiders are going to shock the world with a 20-16 to 16 victory. Game number one as the Raider Grinch will play out successfully for fans of the silver and black.
1: Well, I certainly hope you're right. And the Raiders do have a few gifts given to them by the Cowboys this week. Amari uh, Cooper will be out. C.D. Lamb will be out. So two of their biggest wide receiver threats will be out of the game. That's definitely something to look forward to and something that could end up helping the Raiders quite a bit. My key to victory is for the offense to wake up simply and be more aggressive. They just have to be more aggressive. They have to go in with a game plan, be more aggressive, and then when they get to the red zone, convert for touchdowns. If they can't do that, I don't see them winning. I don't know if they will be able to do that. Do they have the ability to? Yes, absolutely. Even against a team as good as the Cowboys, and the Cowboys are a good team this year. Make no mistake of it. They really are. My score prediction, though, It is going to be, in favor of the Cowboys, 27 to 17. And I hope that I get to eat the crow next week because I will gladly do it, make it a double, and I will eat it for appetizer and dessert.
0: And just this past week, I will gladly prepare it. And I was trying to see if I could get up a good recipe after the Cincinnati game, but as we got into the fourth quarter, I was thinking this is not going to happen.
1: Well, I won it. Like I said, appetizer and dessert. Let's, let's do it.
0: Let's do this thing. This year, Turkey Day at MyBookie gives you plenty of reasons to be thankful, starting with a $250 risk-free bet on Thursday afternoon when the Dallas Cowboys host the Las Vegas Raiders. Bet the spread between the Raiders and Cowboys at MyBookie. When you win, you win. And if you don't, MyBookie will refund you up to $250. Simply put, you can't lose this bet and that's what I call no risk, all gravy. Before you get your wager in, set yourself up for success by doubling your first deposit when using promo code ONLYNATION at MyBookie. That's promo code ONLYNATION to double your initial deposit all the way up to $1,000 so you won't need to break the wishbone to be the one to come out ahead. Feast risk-free on Turkey Day with MyBookie And make sure to stick around for seconds as they gear up for what should be a fun Black Friday with tons of odds boosts that will have your belly and your pockets full. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie.
1: Okay, T3, how about bringing us your top three for the week?
0: T3's top three. All right, here is this week's top three. Number one, I've mentioned this on two podcasts already. I think Mark Davis needs to step up and install Louis Riddick as the new team president. He's an expert in scouting. Optically, I think this would be a very good hire for the organization. And not only is he a former Raider, but I think he could bring both a fresh and transitional energy to this franchise. Let him be the one to make decisions about Mayock as general manager, and then let's see where the team goes from there. And that's just my opinion. Number two, I think I've made my decision on two critical things, although I'm willing to change my mind during the offseason. None of the 2019 first-round rookies should have their fifth-year options picked up. I love Josh Jacobs, but the $10 million price tag will simply be too high for someone who's injured as often as he is. Clee Ferrell will land somewhere else, and he'll be successful without all the high expectations. And I believe that Jonathan Abram is just another hard-hitting retread of Mike Mitchell from days gone by. And number three, for the holidays, I want the Raiders to become Grinchy. They get their first opportunity this Thursday by going into the holidays and wrecking Thanksgiving for the Cowboys and all their fans. If I have nothing else to look forward to, perhaps lowering expectations to simply be the spoiler and ruin everybody else's season can be just what we need to build a little momentum for ourselves. Al Davis once said, let's take what we want. I say, let's take away what you have. And that is this week's top three.
1: I have been a big fan of Lewis Riddick. I would love to see him in as team president. The one knock that people have had on Mike Mayock as a GM is that he's never done it before and his inexperience shows. Louis Riddick hasn't been a team president, has he? He's not. So he would be, it would be a new role for him as well. So that's the only real hesitation I have for it. But he clearly loves the Raiders. He's a former Raider. And I think that he would have the football mind to really be able to lead the organization. So I'm all with you on on number one. Let, let's get Riddick in there. Let's have him lead the team and let's have him show us exactly what he's got because I think that he could really uh, make a difference for the Raiders.
0: And if we don't grab him, somebody else will.
1: Yeah. And... The 2019 first-round rookies, yeah, I don't see any of them getting their option picked up. Uh, Josh Jacobs, we've already talked about in previous episodes about the price tag being too high for someone who's injured so much. Cle Farrell, you know, he was the victim of being drafted so high. Had he been drafted farther down in the draft, you know, his play probably wouldn't be looked upon as, oh, this guy's a bust. But he was drafted fourth overall. So people expect him to be this huge defensive end that racks up sacks and dominates the game. And he's just not that kind of player. Jonathan Abram, yes, he's hard hitting, but the man cannot do anything in coverage. The only thing that he does in coverage is give up catches and touchdowns. They're not going to want to give him the fifth year option as well. So I totally agree with you on that. I see number 24,
0: oh, lots of highlight reels, but not on the not on the good end.
1: Yeah, a lot of highlight reels, and he's the defender. And uh, for the Raiders to become Grinchy, that would be great. I think that that might be the only thing that we do have to look forward to towards the end of this season. I just don't think the Raiders are going to be able to overcome everything that they have faced this year, uh, losing Gruden, losing Henry Ruggs the death of tina tintor it's just been so much it's not an excuse but they're exhausted and you can just see it on their faces i, I don't want to say they're checked out for the year but they are um dog paddling in water and uh struggling their their lugs are getting tired you can tell
0: and you know i got to give rich pisacci all the credit in the world he is he has coached for years and been waiting for a head coaching opportunity and the time he gets a head coaching opportunity is when a coach gets thrown out, he gets put in at the last minute, he does not get to select his own coaches or team or staff or anything. He just has to try to keep the boat afloat. And for a first-time coach who doesn't even have that out of the gate, that's a that's a monumental task. And I think he's done really, really well to do what he can to motivate the players and to keep everybody focused to the extent that he can. I don't think anybody could have done a better job than he has. And at first I was thinking that they might want to go ahead and up his deal and give him another full year. But now with everything up in the air, the way it is uh, and and a rebuild looking like it possibly could happen, I'm not so sure anymore.
1: Yeah. I see Mark Davis bringing in a new regime at the end of the year. I don't think he's been very happy with how the Raiders have reacted after Gruden's uh, leaving. The first two games were great, but then the last three games have been pretty ugly and, uh, and difficult to watch as a Raiders fan.
0: They've kind of reminded me a lot of the 2005 and 2006 years where they just kind of sleepwalked through the season.
1: Yeah, you can see that happening. It's like they are headed in that direction. Okay, give us a call at 904-701-8667. Leave a voicemail or text message at that number, or send in a message via social media, and we'll share your thoughts. And why don't you tell us what's coming up on Raider Roots this week, T3? Okay, Raider Roots
0: this week We've got a big episode. We've got the year 1975 that we're going to go back and take a look at. And this is going to be one of the longer shows because there's a lot of information to unpack. A lot of things happened. But this is what we need to do to prepare for that first Super Bowl run, which comes up the following year in 1976. Okay, sounds good.
1: And now how about you tell us what we do and what we don't know?
0: All right, now it's time for another edition of Did You Know? In this segment, I will ask Heidi and all of our listening audience a Raiders-related question with three possible answers to choose from. It's multiple choice, so just give it your best guess. So here goes. Here's this week's question. The Raiders are no stranger to playing on Thanksgiving Day. So here is my question. Who was the Raiders' very first Thanksgiving Day opponent? Was it A, the Denver Broncos, B, the Detroit Lions, Or C, the Dallas
1: Cowboys. Heidi, what's your guess? Oh, man, it could have been any one of those. I don't remember when the Lions and the Cowboys were named the official ones that always get the home game on Thanksgiving. But the Raiders were around before that happened. So... I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess a Denver Broncos. You are
0: absolutely correct. The Raiders actually played the Denver Broncos in Denver on Thanksgiving Day in 1963, which happened, ironically, it happened uh, less than a week after the Kennedy assassination. They have played the Detroit Lions. They played them in 1970, the very first year after the AFL-NFL merger. And, of course, we know they played the Cowboys previously. But, no, the correct answer is A, the Denver Broncos, going all the way back to 1963. And that is this
1: week's version of Did You Know? Hey, I'm on a roll. I'm doing good. You are. About time. Took me long enough.
0: And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Heidi's Heroes.
1: This week's hero is an NFL player, but it is not a raider. This week's hero is Chicago Bears defensive back Jalen Johnson, because he is spearheading a nonprofit after his best friend was recently shot and killed. Jalen Johnson was a former Central High football standout in the Fresno, California area, and he's taking action to give back to the community after his best friend was recently shot and killed. He is spearheading a new nonprofit in his friend's honor with the hopes of helping families during the holiday. Those who knew his friend, Kevion Shrub, had, say that he had a smile that would light up a room, an infectious personality that drew you in along with a heart of gold. But tragically, his life was cut short when the 22-year-old was gunned down on August 8th near Fresno State University. Everything he did, from his friends to his family to his community, he just wanted to give back, says Johnson. In 2018, Kevion started the clothing brand No Love and would often donate apparel to those experiencing homelessness and to Valley Children's Hospital which is one of the charities that our quarterback, Derek Carr, supports uh, wholeheartedly. Now, Kevion's best friend, NFL player Jalen Johnson, is using his platform to start the Kevies Vision Project, a nonprofit that looks to continue the work of Kevion, started by helping local families during difficult times. He had a lot of things going that he wanted to make happen, and I just want to be able to continue that on in his honor. Really one of the biggest things is giving stuff back to the community whether it's clothes or being able to help out the less fortunate or the homeless anything like that because something that's something that he took pride in especially in his community says Johnson The nonprofit is partnering with Highway City Community Development for its first big event on December 18th Cavvy's Vision Project will select 100 families for a special Christmas giveaway for more information on Kevvy's Vision Project, especially for those of our listeners in the Central California area, go to Kevvy's Vision Project, and then Kevvy's is spelled K-E-V-V-Y-S, Kevvy's Vision Project, on all social media platforms. See if you can help out Jalen Johnson. Detectives, unfortunately, are still investigating the shooting that killed Kevion, and If you are a listener that has any information regarding solving that case, please call the Fresno Police Department. But today, my hero is Jalen Johnson and his friend Kevion, Kevion Shrub. Both of you young gentlemen are my heroes this week.
0: And, you know, Heidi, we talked about this. I would have loved to have had Jalen Johnson as a member of the Raiders. And who knows? Down the road, maybe he it will be. But regardless, this is where NFL takes a backseat to humanity. And we just want to stand up and honor people that do good things for their fellow man and fellow woman as well. So I want to salute Jalen Johnson for all the great work he's done, uh, not only in the NFL, but also as a person.
1: Yeah, and he's a local boy for me because I'm still, you know, I don't live in Fresno anymore, but I lived there for over 20 years, so his story is, is something that is very familiar to me, and I'm glad to see him step up and uh, use this opportunity for something good. We'll
0: have to talk to our friend Christopher Gabriel about him being in the Fresno area as well.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. And that about does it for this week on the Only Nation podcast. Next week we'll probably have a little bit longer episode because, well, it won't be a really short week like this week's. If you'd like to help support the show, you can send in a donation at PayPal.me/OnlyNationPod. You can find me Heidi Stabbert on social media as at @kevlarpromdress on Twitter and Instagram, or Heidi Stabbert on Facebook. You can also find me on YouTube on Captain Jack Rackham's channel every other Tuesday night. Join the D.C. wench Peggy Holmes and Angria Trask on the Captain and His Wenches Show.
0: All right, Raider Nation, we want you with us every step of the way during the regular season, good or bad. So here's what we would like you to do. Send us your name and address so we can send you some free Raider swag and podcast stickers. You can tell us what you want to know, throw us an interesting nugget that we can use on one of our upcoming episodes, and become part of what we're doing here. Remember, this is The Only Nation. And we want you to be a part of it. So call us at 904-701-8667. That's 904-701-8667. Call us now and join the Only Nation podcast family. There are two easy ways to find me on social media. You can send me a tweet at T3 underscore sports 703, as several of you do. Or you can hit me up on Facebook at Tom T-H-O-M Jones. I want to also thank you for your continued support of the Raider Roots podcast. As we mentioned earlier, this week the focus will be on the year
1: 1975. As always, we look forward to hearing from you, everyone. Until next time, go Raiders. We are not just a nation. We
0: are the only nation. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Mr. Grinch Raider.